to the Environmental Leadership Chronicles, a podcast brought to you by the California Association of Environmental Professionals. In this episode, I'm joined by co-host Corinne Lytle-Bonine, and we feature Jenny Vick, who is the West Coast Offshore Wind Lead for HDR. As an established environmental consultant, Jenny has over 18 years of environmental and project management experience preparing CEQA and NEPA documents for a wide range of marine and coastal projects including renewable energy, substations, transmission, and ports. Jenny discusses the exciting opportunities and challenges in developing offshore wind in the Pacific Ocean and keeping on the cutting edge of this rapidly evolving industry. She earned a bachelor's degree in biological sciences from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and a master's degree in marine biology from James Cook University in Australia. Join us as we learn about Jenny's approach to mentorship and carving your professional pathway. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Jessa, and my pronouns are she, hers. Hey, I'm Corinne, and my pronouns are she, her. And today we have guest Jenny Vick with HDR. Welcome to the podcast, Jenny. Thank you. Jenny is the West Coast Offshore Wind Lead and Senior Environmental Project Manager with HDR. So welcome so much. We're excited to have you. Thank you. Excited to be here. Okay, so first things first. How are you connected to AEP? Uh, so I've been a member for a number of years. Um, I can't even remember when I first joined, but um, I'm looking at my shelf here in my office and I've got at least CEQA handbooks going back to 2016 on my shelf. So um, it's definitely been my guidebook for for a very long time in my career. So um, I'm very appreciative of AEP um, and the different resources they have available. I've been attending the, the conference um, for the last, I don't know, five years or so. Um, so yes, very reliant on the AEP guidebook for sure. Love it. All right. Long time listener, first time caller kind of vibe. <laughs> well, I love using CEQA guideline books as a way to measure uh, length of involvement with AEP. I love it. Yeah, I've got that at least the one that I've made the last few moves since I've been in San Diego since 2016. So <laughs> there we go. Maybe that's our next question. <laughs> using the guidebooks as uh, in the future on the podcast as a, as a barometer. I love it. So uh, what... Okay, we'll start off with Jenny. What led you to a career in the environmental industry? It's when it goes back to like childhood, I guess. Um, uh, my mom, you know, always thought I was going to be a marine biologist. And I was like, I, what are you talking about, mom? Like, I love the beach and, you know, wildlife. And um, she just knew before I did. Um, and I went to college as a, a bio major. Um, thinking I might do more pre-med um, and then start taking ecology classes and, and got hooked. Um, and then I, you know, upper division class of biology of fishes and that was it for me. So um, finished my undergrad at UC Santa Barbara, um, uh, biological sciences, yes, I know, <laughs> also a gaucho um, and uh, just kind of fell into it. And so um I, you know, I started um, working for environmental consulting firms on the central coast of California and San Luis Obispo. Um, and it it was just natural for me. It just felt like the right spot for me. Um, and I've transitioned from being a marine biology background. Um, I even continued on doing my master's degree in, in marine biology, um, but transitioned to being a planner a number of years ago and haven't looked back. All right. So what about marine biology? So like, why do you think your mom recognize this in you before you recognize it in yourself. It's funny. I also attribute like my grandmother. So um, she was lived in Fresno my whole life, but we uh, always had um, 
cabins up in the mountains in Shaver Lake. And so my grandmother was just always really into nature. She'd stop and know she knew every single wildflower, every tree. She'd have us pull over the side of the road so we could look at what flowers were on the side of the road. And so it just really instilled this like wonder in me of the world around us and how things work. And so, um, you know, her inspiration and then just my love of just nature and being outside really kind of led me down there. Um, and actually, this just reminded me of a fun fact that um, my grandfather, he built subdivisions up in the in the mountains in Shaver Lake, and he actually commissioned the first environmental impact report for the Sierra Nevadas. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Look at um, that. Yeah, so, so has your mom ever let you live it down or is she still saying, I told you so? I told you so. <laughs> yeah, she was doing not just mine. For, for math and science in high school. She saw that as well. And um, she was one that really encouraged me to like apply. It was like a bio major in college. So yeah, thanks mom. <laughs> yeah, we have two uh, generational environmental professionals on this podcast, both with Corinne, with your family and Jenny. So it's so interesting. I love that. What a, that's a great fun fact. <laughs> yeah. And actually um, that reminds me too, my grandfather's dad uh, studied marine biology at I think Stanford. And I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was like Stanford way back in the day. Um, so yeah, there's this like history that I didn't even know about until I, you know, was an adult. Yeah. That's so that's interesting. Amazing. Yeah. I love this. I'm like, oh, what a fun thread we could pull. But okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep moving on a little bit because otherwise, uh, you know, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> and so, you know, you said you switched from marine biology to environmental planning. So what was the catalyst for that jump? Like what in your mind and for where you wanted to go in the future, did you decide to transition more into the planning side of the business? I had a really great mentor that saw in me uh <laughs> um i'll give her a shout out lara rakowitz she's at um Ascent environmental these days but um you know I, I was working as a biologist at an environmental consulting firm and she really just saw that i had this aptitude for for more and she um really encouraged me to to take on more different roles within my my job um and when at one point she was, you know, we were talking about like, oh, should I transition to a different company? And um, she was like, you should look at environmental planner jobs. Like, that's what you're doing. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, you know, writing CEQA sections and managing CEQA, like that, like you're a planner. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it, um, you know, just kind of fell into it, but it was an encouragement from from people around me and, and seeing and that I, I have that aptitude to do more. And it really just lines up with what, I like to do. I, I love solving puzzles. And that's what I love about, you know, practicing CEQA and, and NEPA is every project's different. And there's so many different ways to solve a problem. And um, with, you know, constant case law, you know, <laughs> changing, there's, there's always new rules to follow. And it's it's always interesting. There's no, It's never a dull moment. So we love mentors and talking about mentors on here. And with that, with your mentor, like how did you, what was the relationship like with your mentor? Were, was it a formal relationship? Was it informal? Like, how did that, how did you find a mentor? Maybe it's a better question. Yeah, no, that's actually good. So even going back to like my first job fresh out of college, I luckily just found somebody that, um, it was this very small company, but she, um, really same thing, just like fostered, uh, my skill set um, and helped me grow. Um, and so for me, um, because I worked at smaller firms at the beginning of my career, I didn't have formal mentorship. 
So I completely lucked out that I worked with amazing women that um, really helped build me up. Um, but now that I'm at, at HDR, we have more formal programs. And so I'm very much willing to give it back. Um, so I'm you know, very much looking back to the generation coming up and trying to help them because one, I'm, I'm also trying to do informal you know, mentorship like I had, but also trying to do more, more formal um, and, and letting the, the young professionals at HDR know that we've got these resources as well and, and making sure that they're aware that there's so much out there and they're a great company that they should take advantage of that stuff. Because I didn't have that kind of formal, I didn't, I didn't know about AEP when I first started. I didn't know about APA when I first started. So um, for me, it was more informal, but um, very valuable. Yeah, it seems like, I think just to have someone who is a, has experience and letting you know, like, this is actually what you're doing and this is what you could be doing and putting a name to it to what you're doing instead of just like, oh, I'm I'm a biologist and kind of potentially siloing you in your career into that one lane. It's like expanding and exploring the possibilities, which led you, I mean, looking where you probably started to what you're doing now um, mm -hmm. and all the things along the way. And like, you know, having someone like guide you and help, like you said, seeing in you what you may not see in yourself and be able to explain the opportunities. I think it's just what a gift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I know I completely lucked out in my career and I'm very grateful for those people that have helped me and, and guide me. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to keep doing the same. And so it can you be a shameless plug, um, for mm -hmm. AEP's mentorship program, but we are, you know, right now about halfway through our, um, program cycle, uh, which means that, you know, uh, not too long into the new year, we'll start soliciting signups for our next program cycle um, to have kind of formal uh, programmed uh, mentorship. But if you hear this and you're interested in, in joining a mentorship program now, we do have an at-will option. The details are all on our website under our mentorship specific page. Um, and then that should also include my contact information in case um, anyone wants to hear more about um, the mentorship programs that AEP offers. Love it. Mentor, mentor, mentor. We are all about this. This is spinning together nicely. And can you tell us, you said at HGR, there's a mentorship program. Can you explain a little bit more about how the program works with your company? Sure. There's a couple of different layers there. So I, this last year, I signed up to be a mentor within our women's networking group. So we have kind of formal networking groups within HGR. Um, and so I got paired up with a, a couple of women and it's, you know, they, I filled out a questionnaire of like my background, what I do in my career, um, and just kind of, they paired people up. And so I got paired up with like a woman in New Jersey with like a fisheries background. Um, so uh, they kind of made those connections internally. And then I know within HDR, in different regions, they've also got kind of different programs in terms of like... Um, you can formally apply for something or you can informally, like when you start um, a, a, a new person joining, you know, our San Diego office, they get teamed up with somebody just within our office just to help guide them through like the chair process, how to fill the timesheet, how to you know, do an expense report, that kind of stuff. So there's different levels. Um, I really liked, uh, I was encouraged by one of our young professionals to sign up within the, the women's networking group. Um, she's like, you'd be a great mentor. Just, you know, just let me chat within the, in the kitchen. We don't really work together, but we're in the office together. And she just really valued the just kind of insights I was giving her into her career from, you know, very informally in the, you know, at the water cooler. Um, so that was really 
don't know, it was inspiring just to <laughs> have somebody come out to be like, you'd be a great mentor. I'm like, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> what a good compliment. I love that. <laughs> Well, it's such an ex- a good example about how mentorship really goes, you know, both ways. And it's not, you know, we may say a mentor-mentee relationship, but oftentimes even, you know, in that mentor position, you learn so much from your mentee. 100%. It's, I mean, like every bit as rewarding to you as it is to someone who might be in more of a mentee relationship. Oh, absolutely. It's a two-way street for, for sure. It's definitely not, you know, I'm not looking backwards. I'm, you know, it's definitely um, a two-way conversation. I learned so much from, from our, our young professionals. Um, at the same time, I'm still, you know, I still have mentors myself, <laughs> like, even though, you know, I, there's always more to, to learn and to grow and, um, to share. And how do you know about the opportunities if you're not sharing them with other people? And yeah. I always think about it as like, I, I feel like this is kind of a common trope, but it's the sports analogies where you have like some of the best athletes in the world. They still have a coach. You're like, you, right. you can be so talented, so experienced, but you, you know, everyone still has, I shouldn't say everyone, I'll, these professionals still have a coach to help guide them and show them where they can like hone in on skill sets. And so I think, you know, keeping sight of that, that um, we, none of us know everything. Um, and, you know, being able to be flexible and still continue to grow in your career, even when you are at that level where you can be a mentor yourself, I think is, like you said, is a very important reminder to, uh, to not lose sight of that. Yeah. And just talking to people, you know, early in their career, just also, if they don't have a mentor already, just encouraging them to find one. Um, because if you don't know, you don't know <laughs> so, um, how valuable it can be. And just in, and also letting them know it doesn't have to be your supervisor, you know, it can be anybody that you work with, you know, within HDR, we call working the matrix. Like, like I said, like I've been in touch with, you know, the team on the East coast and, um, you know, I have a mentor on the East coast. That's, you know, really knowledgeable in the offshore wind space that I rely on. So, um, it doesn't have to be, you know, within your office or your supervisor, it can be kind of anybody and it can be outside your company too. So, um, looking for mentors to help you learn what you don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I completely agree with that. And I think, like you said, I'm thinking back when you said earlier in your career, like, I didn't know about AEP. I, I don't know what I don't know. And so it's so hard to even know you need to look for a mentor until someone tells you, right. Hey, you should look for a mentor. You should look into AEP. I mean, any early career professional, young professional student I come in contact with, I'm like AEP, just go check it out. They're going to have like every resource that you can imagine, at least to understand like what some of the opportunities are out there as far as like just getting your foot in the door with the industry, um, you know, like outside of maybe what's your first job or even before you have your first job. So I think, you know, like you said, it's a two-way street. It's like asking for the mentor and then also recognizing the people who might need to be told <laughs> to look for mentorship themselves. And um, I wanted to get into a little bit too about your current role. Though with you know you're you're an offshore uh, wind lead for the West Coast for HDR, and so can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like what your position is and your your leadership role there? Sure. Um, I'm just gonna like go go backwards a little bit here and and how I got into the that space. Um, so obviously we already talked about my marine biology background, um, and then you know as I started you know in my career I started working on you know marine resource projects, renewable energy projects. I worked on you know transmission projects, substation projects, port projects, kind of like all the pieces to the offshore wind puzzle. 
Um, and at my last firm, I had the opportunity to work on some early um, planning for offshore wind on the East Coast and just really got hooked on the industry. Um, I didn't, you know, it was, it's a new industry and, you know, um, looking at the East Coast versus West Coast that they need to do floating here on the West Coast. And it just, you know, blew my mind. <laughs> so um, I just got hooked. And so when I joined HDR five and a half years ago, um, I let them know I was interested in offshore wind, knowing that it's not here on the West Coast yet. Um, and so I started helping out with some more East Coast projects uh, just to keep up on the industry. And then um, in 2021, when the administration changed um, and offshore wind became more of a reality here in California, um, I took on the like, informal role of a, a offshore wind, West Coast offshore wind champion. And so for me, it was just... Uh, HDR supported me in just learning all I could about the industry, getting up to speed on on the uh, the federal process, what's happening in the states, um, uh, what the timeline looks like, what it means for us, what HDR can do in the industry, what we have done in it, like in that space uh, that can translate to offshore wind. Um, and then earlier this year, they formalized that position for me, so um, I became the West Coast Offshore Wind Lead earlier this uh, January of, of 2023. Um, and so in that role, it's, it's, I, I still <laughs> work on projects and still a pro project manager hat, um, but it's more of a business development role of just, um, learning about the industry, connecting my team, um, to the right people, building that team here, um, on the West coast, connecting them with the East coast people that have been working on these projects. Um, it's so true. Like I look at an example of like air quality, it's air quality is <laughs> really, complicated permitting process for offshore wind on the East Coast. And so I've had our California air quality staff talking to those people that have been working on those projects in the East Coast. So they're talking about the different challenges of like, oh, we have this problem on the East Coast. And it's like, well, in California, it's going to be a little bit different because, <laughs> you know, our you know, carb is a little bit more stringent than some other states. So um, just getting those experts talking to each other about the different challenges in different areas um, is, is part of my role as well. Um, and then, um... yeah, I think listening to you talk about this, the the offshore wind, it's like kind of, I don't know, it seems like a pioneering type field or industry where I think about, you know, the gold rush or something like yeah, that yeah. back in like, you know, the, the 1800s in California. And it's this new, it seems like exciting and new and dynamic. And like you said earlier, you like figuring out complicated problems and uh, this sounds like a complicated. <laughs> and that's that's what's making me so passionate about the industry. It's it's the new frontier, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's the next renewable energy frontier. Uh, there's so many challenges to solve from not only how to build these projects, but how the supply chain issues with them. You need you need the ports to be there. You need the transmission to be there. You need to get the energy from these projects to the load centers. Um, and so it's 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 a challenge on so many different levels, and we need so many people at the table solving these problems. And so for me, I'm just trying to connect our internal, you know, HDR team, like helping them realize this, this billion dollar in well, multi-billion dollar industry. Um, uh, I think 20 billion is some <laughs> is thrown out there sometimes, right? It's, there's a lot of money being invested in this, uh, a lot of uh, support from the federal government in terms of setting planning goals uh, within California. We also have state uh, and goals uh, that we've, we've set under AB 525. Um, so it's it's just really interesting because there's, yeah, like I said earlier, I love solving problems, you know, 
I love the puzzle. I love the solving problems. And this is just like the ultimate problem that feels like <laughs> just solve. That sounds bad. It's the, the ultimate challenge. You went for a big problem to solve. <laughs> <laughs> and so Corinne, I know you do a lot with, um, well, you're a developer, right? For um, <laughs> clean energy. And so what are your thoughts as far as the future for offshore wind for California or for the the West Coast, like, are you involved with that in your position? So, uh, right now, you know, my um, company AS Clean Energy has looked at offshore wind and um, basically said it's not ready for us. <laughs> so, a lot of the challenges that Jenny was talking about, we think, aren't probably quite solved yet. Um, so our focus has been, you know, it, it is right now on onshore that, you know, doesn't mean that hopefully there's going to be advances and things are going to change. Um, but, you know, we are kind of exclusively uh, land-based uh, wind development at this point. Um, so Jenny, I'm interested to hear, you know, from you kind of, you know, what makes offshore wind um, from, you know, permitting realm um, more challenging or maybe easier? What 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 do you see are the differences between onshore and offshore uh, wind? Yeah, uh, so with, with offshore, all these projects, um, excluding any kind of pilot projects that are in state waters, they're all going to be in federal waters. And so it's uh, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management is the federal lead agency under the Department of Interior. Um, and so they've been doing projects on the East Coast for a number of years. They have their guidance. Um, and part of the challenge is figuring out how that guidance applies to California um, and how to tie CEQA into that NEPA process. Um, and so within California, we've had a state task force uh, since 2016. And so the state agencies have been talking with the federal agencies um, for a long time, but it's still, um, still a lot of challenges if, if figuring out that, well, I mean, you guys know like the difference between CEQA and NEPA and you know it's obviously possible to do joint documents we do those all the time um but the the level of information that's that's known for these projects it, it's different um than what we would typically require under CEQA um so I know there's been a lot of great minds trying to figure out these problems and, and how to streamline this and expedite these projects to meet the goals um, and that have been set by the state. Um, but there's still a lot of challenges to overcome. Um, there's still a lot of unknowns about technology. So that, of course, a lot of the uh, wildlife agencies have their specific concerns. Um, there's a lot of, you know, information, misinformation out there um, about impacts from, from offshore wind. Um, so it, it's, you know, we're fighting a battle on all fronts, it feels like sometimes um, in terms of, you know, permitting, you know, figuring out the, the proper way to permit these projects, basically, um, how to involve stakeholders in a meaningful way um, and how to meet these aggressive timelines that that have been, been imposed. So it's, there's a lot of challenges, but... Um, there's a way to do this. Um, <laughs> we've got a lot of great people trying to figure it out. Yeah, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about, you know, how much or if, you know, you're using the wind energy guidelines, the land-based uh, WAG put out by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and what you're doing for offshore. Is it kind of, 
you know, throw out the window because it's just, you know, not comparable or are there things you can kind of pick and choose from the WAG to implement in your offshore wind projects or um, how, how much are you able to recycle from them? Um, I actually don't know um, how, I, I don't know the answer to that. So I'm thinking about this too. It's like this problem. I'm like, oh man, what an uphill battle. And I'm, but I'm like, uphill and against the wind <laughs> like picturing the, you know trying to swim out against the wind into the waves like at an incline you know I'm like what you know what a big problem and but again it's challenging and you know like I I'm hearing you say like there's a way this can be done we just need to figure out like the way this can be done to get to the end result and there's a lot of different ways to do that and I think like you said um it's a new frontier and so when there's not a blueprint to follow, like there are for other processes and other developments, it's, you know, you're, you're building it to some extent as you go, it's like, you know, where you want to be and you have to get all these different stakeholders to Joke. agree. At, at conferences, on the path. everybody, somebody always says we're building the plane as we're flying it. <laughs> Single conference, and I, I make a note every time whoever says it, I'm like, there you go. <laughs> I love some business analogies. Well, it's funny too, though, as you're talking about this, I just earlier today, I heard about something. I don't know if you guys have heard this one before, but the, that Buffalo, when there's a storm, that Buffalo go into the storm mm. and, and yeah, instead of away from it. So, so they race through it to get past it quicker. Yeah. And so the analogy for business was like, be the Buffalo. Like when you see this big hurdle, this big thing coming at you, like, all right, we're just going to go into it and figure this out. And so we can get through it faster. And that's what it's like kind of drawing some parallels, Jenny, to like what you're dealing with. You're like, okay, like let's jump into this and figure this out. That's interesting. Cause yeah, we're definitely seeing that happen left and right. Um, of, uh, all fronts actually. I mean, I'm <laughs> like, like my mind's racing here. I'm like, oh yeah, just watching some developers just like jump right in. Like let's figure this out as we're doing it to, um, uh, even people, right? Like I'm watching people transition from being a you know onshore expert to working, you know, in this space, and it all it translates. But it's you know it's a new new industry to learn. Um, but yeah, let's, let's just go ahead and head on. <laughs> well, and it's such an interesting amalgamation of kind of you know unique aspects of projects where you have you know the fact that it's underwater. In portions you have here in California, you're going to go through the coastal zone, going to have to deal with coastal commission and their, you know, secret process. You're, you know, going to almost certainly trigger state lands beyond, you know, that side of the mean high tide line. You're, and then, you know, on top of that, you, you take wind development, which is unique on its own in that it's like a 3D spinning, you know, object that we're trying to analyze the impacts of and combine that and everything. So it's kind of like, you know, it's taken some of the more, you know, unique, challenging, um, aspects of permitting any type of project and just put it all in one. So it's, you know, really fascinating to see. And, th and then on top of it all, you know, like, like you said, Jenny, we're in federal waters, you're dealing with, you know, federal land leases. And what does that mean? And it's been such a, you know, roller coaster of a, of a ride looking at, you know, how the um, auctions went in, you know, selling off those leases and what, you know, changes are happening now that people are like, okay, we actually have to build this thing. Looks like we're going to need to change the cost of uh, what we estimated. And um, it's just, it's really thrilling to kind of, for me, be a spectator of um, with just a little bit of background knowledge because of, you know, what I do for my job, but um, uh, just, 
uh, interested to hear more from you about kind of what's been the coolest thing you've learned or what was your like aha moment um, with, you know, how to really get this done or at least sink your teeth into it. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, obviously the East Coast is ahead of us because they've been able to do pile-driven wind turbines. And so they're building the first two like commercial scale, like offshore wind farms right now. It's really exciting. Um, So for so long, we've been able to say like, oh, there's just two, you know, pilot projects in place right now. And now there's actually like, we're doing it. Um, But so it has been interesting watching the process evolve. Um, And to your point about like the leases, um, you know, watching the the lease auction here in California and looking at the initial, the proposed sale notice that they put out for public comment first and the feedback they got from state and stakeholders and the changes that they added in there to the the final sale notice. And and even watching how California changed even a couple of years from like the New York bite and they added in different, you know, the additional you know, community benefit agreements and communication plans and extra requirements in there. It's been interesting to watch that evolve. Um, and it's, it's really is just lessons learned, like just put into, into words. So it's still not perfect. We're still working through it. Um, there's more challenges to come. Um, and the bone process is evolving. I mean, we've watched them change in, in Oregon, they put draft wind energy areas out, which they hadn't done before. So um it's definitely evolving, but it's it's really cool to see that we're actually building things now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, one of my colleagues on the East Coast got to go on tour uh, one of the farms recently that's in development. And so just, you know, New York is now getting power from, from offshore wind and it's just, it's a really exciting time. But yeah, there's, yeah, been challenges with the industry, but that's, um, it's growing pains for, for any industry. Um, and obviously there's a pandemic and supply chain issues in there that, can't anticipate. So, um, force majeure. (laughs) (laughs) And when you're like, so what you were saying, you know, like a lot of this is driven by meeting clean energy goals that federal and state is, you know, part of the, um, the, the catalyst, I guess, or the the motivation for offshore wind is like, okay, we have all these really ambitious goals. Um, how are we going to meet them? And so figuring out, you know, creative ways to do that and alternative ways to do that. And this, to me, I think about this under, you know, um, this sustainability to some extent. And so one of the questions we like to ask people is how do you define sustainability? Like what what's your definition of it and how do you feel the sustainability um, you know, field or industry is evolving? Like what is that, or maybe a better way, what is that word evolving into? It's interesting. And there's so many degrees of sustainability, right? Um, I I sometimes think about it like on a micro scale of like what I do on a daily basis, right? And um I was thinking about this the other day because just little things that I do to try and be more sustainable, right? And, uh, you know, switching in, you know, reusable water bottles and and bags and all those little changes and, you know, buying an electric car and putting solar on my roof, you know, all these little things that I can control. Um, but the example of like the water bottle, um, I have a half sister who's 21 years younger than me. And she came out to San Diego to tour San Diego State University. And she asked me if I had a reusable water bottle for her to use while she was out here. And I got me thinking, like, when I was her age and going to her schools, like, that wasn't a thing. Like, you just expected to just go buy a new, like, a plastic water bottle. And the fact that, like, the upcoming generations, that's just habit. That's just 
part of what they do. They don't even think about it. That to me is sustainability, right? Like making these little changes that I've I've made my habits and we all have, right? Switching to, you know, getting away from plastic bags and, and stuff like that. It's now becoming just our culture. Um, so I like to think about like those micro scales and because if you start thinking about big scales, <laughs> what sustainable means you could, I mean, it's, it's through everything, right? Yeah. It's funny. That's a funny example because this reminds me, I saw this comedian a couple years ago and it was in San Diego, a stand up, and he's doing this bit on like performing in California. He's like, everyone here has their usable water bottles and like everywhere else is plastic and like trying to make fun of people for using reusable <laughs> water bottles. And like, we are hippies and it just fell so flat. I remember being like, and I like comedy. I can laugh at that. I'm like, this isn't funny. I'm just like, there's nothing fun. Like it, it was funny to me that his yeah. joke was so unfunny to the audience because it's like, yeah, no, this isn't like, stop joke. making fun of people for using reusable water bottles. <laughs> that joke anywhere? Because like now, you know, every airport has, you know, water to fill up. Um, like that's just part of, and now there's like lines. Like, I don't know about you, but like the last couple of places I've flown, like there's not a line to fill up your water bottle at the airport. So yeah, I think it's a great observation and uh, so optimistic for the future. That is just, like you said, it's just a habit. It's just what people do. Yeah. That's great. And kind of along these lines, and I, I feel like I'll know your answer for this, but but what would your dream be for the environmental profession? Like you've had a lot of experience as a marine biologist, being a planner. Now you're digging into this you know, new frontier of West Coast offshore wind. And so with all the experience you have in um, professionally and, you know, as a mentor and in these industry groups, business development, all these things, like what would your dream be for the environmental profession? So that's a, it's a good question. Um, it's, there's a lot of different answers I could have for this. Um, ultimately, like sometimes, <sighs> I know, Karen, if you feel this too, but like sometimes there's regulations just bog us down and <laughs> the regulations are there for a reason. I mean, you know, somebody did something that caused a, a new law, right? Like, <laughs> but sometimes it just feels like you just want to cut through the red tape just to make things happen. And I'm not saying that's going to, I'm not advocating just to cut through regulations by any means, but on the topic of sustainability, like finding a way to, to permit projects in a more sustainable way um, in terms of we spend so much time on projects sometimes and sometimes it can take 10 years to, to get through a permitting process just to build something that might be really useful that is going to change lives. Um, so I don't have a solution. I'm just saying like, this is a general observation of um, we can do better. Yeah. And this is your dream, right? It's not, you don't have to solve this problem today, <laughs> no, at least on this podcast. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, I think there's ways to do it better um, and more efficiently. Um, but yeah, we we need these regulations for a reason. And I'm not saying like, uh, oh, absolutely. When yeah, I think dialing back some of these things, it makes me really nervous. But um, I think just in general, like we just do, there's ways we can do things better. Well, there needs to be some flexibility too when 
you know, it is red tape or regulations that are getting in, in the way of things that, you know, at a state and federal level has been determined to be really important. And, you know, I think that's renewable energy. I think that's affordable housing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think that there, there are a million different ways where we can do it better. Um, and especially if we target, you know, the type of growth that we need in, again, especially renewable energy and affordable housing, you know, I, I, I think that we do have tools at, at our disposal or there's probably some quick legislative fixes um, that we can do to, to get a little closer to that, you know, better picture you see, Jenny. I totally agree with you. Yeah, and that's actually a really good example. So, like, I've actually done quite a few affordable housing projects and they are, like, I actually get them done. <laughs> they don't drag on for 10 years. I'd Like, those are some of, like, the projects that I just check off because there's a more streamlined process. And so that's a really great example of how we can do better. There are ways to, and yeah, I think maybe it's one industry at a time that we we go through it, but we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, I I can understand where you're coming from, <laughs> even as a, a not uh, someone who is deeply involved in permitting. Um, so can you tell us a little bit, um, I'm switching topics over to your work. I know you do a lot of work at like volunteer work. So like women in transportation, is I know an organization that you're involved with. And I know, you know, you mentioned you do some, um, you know, participate in AEP as well, but do you want to tell us about a little bit of the, the work you do with these organizations? Sure. Yeah. Um, I've been a member of WTS um, since I joined HDR. So, um, you know, I'd only worked at environmental consulting firms before and hadn't worked on transportation projects. And when I joined HDR, um, I was introduced to, to WTS um, and my first, um, event was actually their annual awards dinner. And I was really inspired by all these young women getting up on stage and, and accepting their scholarship award. And so um, a couple months later, it was a volunteer open house. And so I attended that and I signed up to, to join the scholarship committee. Um, and so it was a volunteer for a couple of years. And then I took over as co-chair three years ago. And so I've been the scholarship committee co-chair for the last three years. I have to hand over the reins at the end of this year, um, but I'm going to maintain a, a seat on the board. Um, but it's just been really, really rewarding. Um, my particular role on WTS, and we'll talk about the organization as a whole, but uh, on the scholarship committee, I get to, you know, we put up the, the application every year. We get the scholarship uh, applications in. We select the jury panel. Um, you know, I sit there while they <laughs> debate who should get how much money and <laughs> and we put on fundraisers uh, to raise money for for these scholarships um, and then the highlight of the year is always at the annual awards dinner when I get to get on stage and and hand these these women their their awards and hear their speeches and I'm always blown away they're so inspirational um, a lot of them really funny <laughs> a couple got a really good good laughs this year um, but so the for me, just giving back in that way has just been really, um, I don't know, just valuable to, to me in so many different ways. Um, the organization as a whole has been a, an amazing organization to be a part of. Um, there's a lot of great women and men on our board um, that they're just really uplifting and, and caring people. Um, and so there's all kinds of um, events throughout the year for like career development. They try and um, organize events from, you know, early career through, you know, senior leadership folks of, of ways to to continue developing skill sets. Um, 
Next year, I'm going to be the membership committee uh, co-chair, so I get to organize that volunteer open house. <laughs> so get to help guide more people into the into the organization. Um, so I'm looking forward to that change uh, next year. But um, we've got you know uh, a group that goes to you know junior highs and high schools and tries to get you know women involved in the STEM industry early on. Um, that would be a great committee to be a part of in the next few years too. Um, yeah, it's, um, I didn't know that organization existed five and a half years ago and now I can't live without it. So. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I think, you know, it's all about finding your people and, and ways um, to get involved. And I think, um, you know, like whether it's ADP, WTS, I mean, there, there's so many out there. And I think that's another thing too, right? It's like, in addition to mentorship, finding a mentor, it's like finding your community as well of like people, you know, depending on what interest you have and what, um, you know, where you're at, where you're based, but there's a lot of different communities and, uh, you know, you can be part of multiple ones too. So <laughs> obviously, but yeah. it's just like, um, I think, you know, it's, you can tell like when you're speaking about it, like the passion and like the joy it brings to you just in the way you speak of it. Like there's a little, uh, you know, in your words that it carries through and like, so it's just, it's great to hear that. Like, and I think that's such an important part too, for people besides like people, like you said, like senior leaders and senior experience people, like if you're not already participating in an organization to make sure like you give back to organizations as well, because there's so many, there's so many opportunities to connect with people that other people are organizing, coordinating. You can like, you know, show up and volunteer and give your, your time and expertise through that way too. So I love that you do that through the scholarship committee and what a fun thing to be able to give people scholarships. I love that. Yeah. yeah. You get money. You get money. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, we're about towards our time to wrap up, but I want to see if there's anything else before we get into our wrap up rapid five. All right. Okay. So what is your favorite daily habit? Um, I get up early every morning and either get a walk or exercise in. And that was, you know, you know, my dog started that habit for me, but, um, <laughs> I, I can't like <laughs> start my day without like either fresh air or like getting my blood pumping. Um, so it just helps get my mindset for the, for the day. Right. What are three things you would bring to a deserted Island? So I hate this question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, oh God, I hate these kind of questions. I don't know. Like I could go in so many different directions. It's like, okay, fantasy thing of like, okay, like a Kindle that's solar powered that has all the books in the world, right? <laughs> so like something practical, like, oh my God, a toothbrush and toothpaste that's, you know, endless toothpaste supply, right? Um, and then, um, I don't know, like a hatchet. Did you guys ever read that book or see that movie as a kid? Like, yeah. That stuff Isn't it me. called that? Something like, yeah, it's right. called the hatchet, I think. Yeah. Oh, that's like my favorite hatchet or something. Maybe I'm thinking something different. Oh, it's but... Like, you, like, is it a plane crash and yes, the yeah. and of the hatchet? Oh. Yeah, I feel okay. like that would be valuable tool. And on my Kindle that has all the books in the world, like there's a survival guide. So you know that would help me. I love it. I'm thinking too as like the endless toothpaste. I'm thinking of something like the offshore wind and like bringing the energy to <laughs> onshore, but it's, it's somehow toothpaste. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, 
What is your favorite environmental policy? Um, I think I'm going to go broad on this and just say just CEQA. Like I love like the new case law every year. And I love that the AP conference, it's my favorite part is like the end of the, the conference, the wrap up of like the new case law. Um, Cause it's constantly evolving and it changes how we do things all the time. Right. Uh, what is your favorite flora or fauna? All right. So let's go back to my marine biology days. I loved flatfish. So, because as larvae, their eyes are on both sides of their head, and then their eye starts to migrate to the same side. They're just fascinating. And they look really cool, like in an aquarium. You ever seen them? Yeah. Is that like, is halibut like that? Yeah, yeah. Halibut's a flatfish. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Um, but I just, I, I just remember that from my like biology officials class in, in undergrad. Um, just yeah, watch it. I think they had like a, a diagram or like we saw in like the lab of like the fish, like at the different um, stages of their their development of how the eye moves, which is fascinating. That's cool. So Jenny, my husband was a biology major at UC Santa Barbara also, and oh, yeah. he still to this day talks about his biology of fishes class. Yeah, Bob Warner. I wonder if he, yeah. It's, <laughs> what an There's impact. There's a lab and everything. I still have the book, the like the keen guide. Oh, actually it's on my Oh, it's right there. <laughs> I actually used it a lot in my early career. Um, I did a lot of like field work um, the first couple of years of my, my career. But Good plug. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And finish this thought. Wouldn't it be cool if? Okay. Going way off here. Okay. So <laughs> um, love Harry Potter. <laughs> Who doesn't, right? Um I always had this kind of fantasy of like, you know, you sit in a restaurant, you want to get your, your food to go. But I hate like, you know, what, single use plastic or bags or something. Like if I was a wizard, I would just pull out Tupperware to take home my, my food from a restaurant. <laughs> that would be very cool. Wouldn't that be cool that you just like pull Tupperware out of nowhere and just not have to use single use stuff? I love the creativity. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Jenny. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to be updated when new episodes are released and leave us a review to let us know what you think. It also really helps us to share the podcast with others who may enjoy learning about the environmental industry. If you want to submit a shout out or any feedback, please send an email or voice memo to podcast at califaep.org. The email again is podcast with an S, podcast at C-A-L-I-F-A-E-P dot org.